2: I grew up with five generations under one roof. Wow. And so there was a lot of grownups around and I was just sitting and listening to them. Yes. And I, I think of podcasts that way. It's like you get to be the fly on the wall in the grown folks' conversations from yes. all over the world. Any You could be that little kid in any community you want to be and just listening in.
0: Isn't that wonderful? It's also interesting in this pandemic that, you know, there was such a lot of understandably desire at the beginning of it from the theatre community to put stuff out there, you know, we've all got we all had to suddenly be doing readings and we all had to be doing, you know whatever but the thing of all of these things that's, that's gained in popularity is the podcast I mean, people are, are wanting to sit and listen, they're not wanting to watch any, I mean, I find that really fascinating and very hopeful uh, very hopeful
2: and we hadn't been listening anymore because everything has been sound bites.
0: That's correct. You know,
2: every every interview is a sound bite, and every show you get the same set of sound bites over and over and over again. That's and correct. in the course of an hour. You know, you run out of sound bites. That's you finally right. have to say something you haven't said
0: before. That's right. I remember. I remember doing. Uh, I think it was when we were doing *Sweeney Todd* on Broadway, and David Loud, who I think would have been in *Merrily We Roll Along*, with he
2: you. was. Yes, he was. He, yes.
0: David was the musical director, and one day he somebody asked him something about me, and he said, "Oh, John doesn't speak in thoughts or even sentences. He speaks in paragraphs." I <laughs> wonder <laughs> what his meaning was. Unafraid of words, right? You know, like not wanting to do. You know, you know. We listen to sentences now as as people who love words, because why be mm. in the theater? And they're not even complete sentences anymore. People don't even finish their thoughts anymore. Mm. And and as people, and you must have seen this with actors on stage with you. What's happened is that instead of people listening to each other, they're thinking, "What? Oh, what can I say next?" Mm-hmm. If you just listen, you'll know what to say next. And I'm sure you've sat opposite an actor on stage and thought, "You're not listening to a word that's coming out of my mouth," because you're busy thinking about your next intention. And it, that's a, there's a sadness in that too, that we're not listening to each other enough. But maybe, maybe the, one of the good things of this time is that we'll regain some of that. I Maybe pray.
2: so. I, I also say that when you're working with an actor who is that present with you and listening and responding, for me as an actor, they give me my performance. Yes. I just put my attention on them and just being with them. the per-
0: The performance is happening. I'm with them. Right. That is what acting is. It is about listening and responding. Exactly. It's so. I, I love what Judy Dench says that the hardest thing about acting is to realize how easy it is, and she doesn't mean mm-hmm. She means, you know, that it's we could we all do it's natural to us all all the time. We just have to make more greater access to ourselves in, in that, the uh, greater vulnerability of ourselves. People are afraid of their vulnerability.
2: Well, it's kind of trained out of us. I'm 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 reading this book, Sand Talk, and he's talking about how kids learn so much in the first six years because they're mm-hmm. curious and they are da da-da-da-da-da. And then we put mm-hmm. them in a school and yeah. they're in an institution that trains. All of that
0: curiosity out of them. Yeah. yeah. But when you t- let me ask you, Tonya, when you trained as an actor in this country, when you were learning, well, you're still learning, but when you were actually going through your training, did they want you to really be a white actor? I mean, were they taking the blackness out of you?
2: I am so fortunate that my first professional acting class, I was 15 years old, And William H. Macy was my teacher. And the uh, the St. Nicholas Theater, they were developing their version of Meisner's technique. So I was the only, I was a young person. John Mahoney was 45. It was his acting class. I was training with adults. And so they were just training me like another actor in the room. And what I remember most about it, because after I did the adult class, I did a summer with the teens, and they would always put me with the person who had something obviously wrong with them because they knew I had been trained enough that I was going to tell the truth, <laughs> that all the mm-hmm. other actors were going to be polite. And I was, you know, you, you, you got a big mole on your nose. <laughs> you <know. laughs> the repetition, you got to say what you see. You know, I got a big mole yeah. on my nose and I had gotten comfortable enough with the discomfort of other people that it made for good acting from even those other people, because when no one's being honest with them, then they're sitting in the tension of, I know they're thinking, sure. it, I know they're feeling it. And so it, it's just a fake thing for everybody.
0: <laughs> sure. Sure, sure, sure. Mind you, you've never been afraid of telling the truth.
2: Um, I don't, I don't know that that's true, but I certainly, I think that because I grew up with a, um, a mother who was, I didn't know at the time, mentally ill, having to hold on to my truth was critical uh-huh. to my sanity. Uh-huh. So, mm-hmm. if I was in spaces and people were saying something that did not match my reality, I mm. had to call it out because then if it's, <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm yeah, like, yeah. whoa, <laughs> I don't know that what was- reality is. So that
0: yeah,
2: yeah, it, yeah. it definitely that was, was about holding on to reality. Like I don't know what y'all are talking about. I I, didn't, I missed that.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Got it. Interesting. Yes, I, I, my father was uh, an, an alcoholic and I, I, a dear man, but uh, but things could get very, very out of control. And I, I you know, I would take control of the family. Uh, I was an only child and I would take control of them and parent them really. And and in so many ways, I'm so grateful because that gave me my job. I mean, that gave me the training to be the daddy in the room. Now I've spent my career trying to let go of being the daddy in the room in order to let everybody else into the room. Uh, That's a life journey, but it, it was really very interesting I think also being an only child you know we had a in my because I come from the highlands of Scotland it can be very cold and uh, it, 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 there was a a sandbox in the corner of the room where we were the children could go in and play in it uh, as little children um uh, because it was too cold to go out to the to the yard to play. I never, ever wanted to go into the sandbox, but I always wanted to help the other children to climb into mm. it. It's exactly what I've done for a living. Now, exactly is that because you don't
2: like to get dirty?
0: No, it was because, I think because I, at that point in my life, didn't really know how to play being an only child. And also I was the eldest of 17 cousins, and we all lived within three streets of each other. And I was, like, seven years older than any of them. You know, there was a seven-year gap after me. So I kind of looked after all of them. And I took care of their playing, and I taught some of them how to read. And I, you know, I I was the big brother, if you like, but big cousin to all of them. So I didn't allow myself the playing. And even I have some little black-and-white photographs of myself as a child with other cousins and children on the beach, and all be in, they're all in one part of the, of the photograph building a sandcastle. And I'm over here on the on the way to the, to the right of them building my own mm. sandcastle. So it was in me from the beginning to be on the outside. Did you in. get
2: to, like, for me, because I'm also the oldest of all the cousins, because my mother had me when she was 14, so her Gosh, uh, right. brothers and sisters – had to grow up and become adults before they had kids. So I'm also older, but that also meant that when they were playing cards and they needed a fourth, I, you know, at eight years old, I'm the fourth. So I was doing all these, playing these games with them. Did you have stuff like that?
0: Sure. Yes, I did. I was, and I was always with the grownups and I was able from a very small age to have, I hope not pretentious ones or, inappropriate ones, but to have grown-up conversations. I I, I always was. And I never found it frightening to talk in public or anything like that. I was always very comfortable with um, almost, I mean, none of them were, certainly none of them were intellectuals, but comfortable with having difficult conversations Mm with them. You know, I had a very... uh, powerful grandmother. I mean, no, I say powerful. She was very important in my life and always listened to me. Maybe because she knew I was, wasn't was always being listened to and uh, in a very caring way. And I, I, I still think of her a lot. I, st- I learned a lot from her ability to listen.
2: Now, you said that the Scots were shipped off away from the Highlands. So how'd your family get back?
0: Well, my, the Scottish part of my family didn't leave, um, My but my name, of course, is Irish. Doyle is an Irish name. It's the name of the Irish parliament, and uh, the Doyle. And my great-grandfather on my father's side of the family um, was the youngest. He, he was the youngest of 14 children, so that can tell you which side of the church they were on. And he was from County Wicklow in the south of Ireland, which is incredibly beautiful. And he ran away to sea as a stowaway on a ship when he was eleven. Never went back to Ireland. I know, but you know, the people were running away from poverty, weren't they? I mean, and uh, if you if if your parents couldn't afford to bring you up, you your uh, there your auntie brought you up or something. And so he ran away, never went back, and. That was the beginning of the Doyle side of the family in Scotland. My mother's side of the family actually come from Norway. Uh, so the, they came in through the very top of Scotland, through uh, through Caithness, which is the most northerly county of, of Scotland. They came in from there. So a, a very interesting Celtic mix. It's not only Scots. You know, It's it's kind of... But lands, it's Northlands
2: really. by living, lived Northlands. Like the Native Americans often say the bloodline doesn't really matter to be Indigenous. It's lived lived experience. So you're Scots lived experience because you've got the Norway blood and the Irish correct. blood coming to Scotland and having That's the right. lived experience of that culture.
0: That's <laughs> correct. And, and an experience of living in an environment that was extra. You know, you've been there. It's extraordinarily beautiful. And I didn't know didn't know that at the time. I mean, I couldn't wait to get out, of course. But but I I go home now, and it's that's home that and not all of Scotland, not Glasgow, not Edinburgh, but that bit up there amongst the mountains and the lochs, the lakes, um, it, it is so it's so in my soul. It's so home to me, and it's very interesting that my even my. The, the nature of the circle and the nature of the figure of eight are part of our dancing, right? The figure mm-hmm. of eight reflects water, of course. You know, it's a water movement. And the, the whole Celtic notion of in my beginning is my end. Uh, you know, you, you end where you began. Okay. You, mm-hmm. It's cyclical, right? Stone so circles that we have up there. Um, now, my staging of my work is always cyclical. If you were in a play from me, you would find that you were walking Mm. in a a figure of eight shape, not on a straight line. And you would find that the image that I start with is usually Mm. the image that I end with. And and so there's something Scottish in my work. And an audience isn't going to know that. They're not going to understand that, but they may be able. Is it to a choice you made, or is it a discovery
2: you made? You
0: discovered that about yourself. No, it's not a choice. Absolutely, I learned that about myself over time. It took me a long time. You know, I I was, as I said to you, you know, I was a sort of journeyman, jobbing director for a long time, uh, and actually, it was a production of I did a production of Sweeney Todd, not the one that became known here, but a. a, a one that, the, done the normal way, you know, a small scale version of Hal Prince's original production. And having done it, I felt depressed. I am not somebody who, get, who feels depressed. I don't, or if I ever do, I'm perfectly okay about it. But I didn't feel good. And I thought, why am I not feeling good? And I realized that what I'd done was Copy. You know, there was a barber's chair up above and there was a chute that people came down when their throats were cut. And Mrs. Lovett had a little red wig like Angela Lansbury. And, you know, it's a copy. It's perfectly good. But it was, and I thought, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be, I don't want to copy Hal Prince. Hal Prince has the right to be himself. You know, Hal Prince was his own genius. And I'd never up to that point been able to call myself an artist. I called myself a director. But the word artist embarrassed me. Mm. Now, that's a very mm. Presbyterian thing. And I started almost, after 20 years of directing shows and plays, I I I went back to the beginning. I spent a little bit of time in Moscow at the Moscow Art Theatre. And I really took time to look at my work and to look at what I was trying to say with my work. Not just putting things on, not just putting it up there, but what was I trying to say. And that led to my demand always for longer rehearsal periods than I used to have, for uh, collaborations in the room that uh, were challenging to me as well as making me feel comfortable, all sorts of things. And that was the beginning of the second half of my career. And at that point, I could start calling myself an artist. I, I saw that, oh, no, you're John, your need to begin and end that way is okay. It's not wrong. It's who you are and bring yourself to the storytelling. Always remembering as a director that you were telling somebody else's story when I did The Color Purple. My job, my primary job was to honor Alice Walker, right? That's why I was in the room. Uh, If I could help everybody else to honor their parts of themselves that led to the communal honoring of Alice Walker, then that's wonderful, and I think that's probably what happened. Um, But but I, I could only do that by being mean. Lucky Land Casino,
1: asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. Purchase necessary void prohibited by law, eighteen plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details
2: It's interesting because when you talk about copying, I feel like so much of my singing um, most of my career was copying. and i and I also did not like to have to sing if I wasn't a character. Uh-huh. I didn't like to do benefits and uh-huh cabarets and things because for me singing is so naked Mm -hmm. and vulnerable Mm -hmm. uh, that I I actually don't even do it much anymore because I only kind of can enjoy it privately when I'm safe enough to just let whatever's going to happen happen and can be with that and so much of what I see in the world that people are applauding about singing can be um, I don't even know what it is but it doesn't it it just feels like a a circus, (laughs) a circus thing. And I'm like, I I don't do the circus thing. So what I do do isn't going to be valued. So I I just rather not do anything.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, I think that also comes to, as you're talking there, it it makes me think about, you know, a realization that I had that I say to actors all the time is that you are enough You don't have to be somebody else. You don't have to sing like Cleo Lane, you know, or whatever it is. I don't have to direct like Hal Prince or Peter Brook or whoever else my heroes are. I can only be John Dock. You can only be Tonya Pinkett. And we are enough. In fact, we're probably too much. So, you know.
2: Yeah, kids just don't believe it. I mean, I had a student calling me the other day and they want to know what is it? What do I have to be? What do I have to do? What's the secret? What's the? And. I mean, I remember being that young and just trying to figure out what is it they're looking for? How can I be it? What's the hair?
0: What's the dress? What's the, you know, uh, capitalism know. feeds, feeds know. that. Capitalism feeds that. I mean, the question that actors will say all the time about oh, what do they want? Honey, the realization is they probably don't know what they want. So you have to let them know that you are what they want. You're enough for them. That's, that's a, a big, it's a big hurdle and it's a particular hurdle in a prize-giving society where, as you know, I mean, we can look at, you know, I'm older than you, but we can look at our careers and realise that we're still learning and that we've done enough to be deemed successful, um, whatever that means. But for so many young actors, their thinking is if they haven't made it in the first year, they're done. I I was with a big London agent who he came to see a show of mine one night we went out for a cocktail and we were talking and i and i said oh, do you how do you nurture your young actors and he said if they haven't made it within the first 6 months we dump them and i said well you know what you just dumped me because I'm dumping you because I don't want to be in the same space as somebody who does that to other human beings. Oh. Somebody This was a big old agent. I thought, no, no, no. This is we shouldn't be doing that to each other. People can people can grow and all sorts. Some plants take many more years to grow than others, and they can then be with us for hundreds of years. Mm. That's fine. Mm. That's fine. Uh, but I think there's a real sadness in, you know, if I haven't won my Oscar by the time I'm 24, I'm done. I'm sorry. It, it, and, no.
2: And then I say to them, and what are you going to do with the rest of your life? Yes. <laughs> okay. You're going yeah. to Oscar 24. Now you've got 50 more years to live. What are you going to do? Yeah.
0: <laughs> and you know, all those television programs with sort of, you know, I don't know, uh, the, the Voice or whatever all those things are. I mean, I don't watch any of them. I don't either. But all that notion of, you know, public auditioning. Uh, what's all that about? And also, it doesn't, it, like, what, there's no value. It's almost like there's no value in being trained anymore. Right.
2: And I know some of the producers and the music people and the backup singers on their shows, and this is what they told me. The best people never get chosen to be on the show because they have to make a narrative arc for a season. And if there's anybody who's really good, it would mess up the story.
0: Isn't that tragic? So you
2: got people feeling like, I didn't make it on The Voice, I suck. And actually
0: you were too good. You were too good. You were too good. And also, uh, look, the casting and stuff that goes on nowadays around, well, you know, I've been in rooms with producers who will say, oh, well, you know, they've got a million followers, so we better book them. And I'm saying, what does following mean? I don't do social media, so I don't even know what you're talking about. When I'm not having somebody in the rehearsal room because they have followers. I mean, please. But that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing to our profession. And we have to be, at, people like you and me have to shout and holler and stop it from happening because it, it's going to stop. It's going to stop craft and it's going to stop class. And that would be very sad.
2: It has been so lovely talking to you. I could talk to you forever.
0: I could talk to you oh, all evening. Yes. We'll order. have to have
2: tea again. My my Definitely. last yeah. question to you, I'm, you know, it's September, which is the Scorpio, which is, you know, I, I, we're at the point where I, I contemplate my mortality on a daily basis because I feel like the next moment is never promised to any of us, and most people don't want to live with the knowing. But I do. I think about what today. What do I need to do? Because the next yeah. moment's not promised. Yeah. If you if you don't, you know, what's 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 left that you want to do before you go?
0: Well, complicated answer to your question. I'm. You said you're a Scorpio. No, no, no. It's this is the month of Scorpio. I'm a Gemini, not but this Scorpio, is Scorpio which gotcha. is.
2: You know, we you contemplate death. That's what the scorpion is. So,
0: yes, my star sign is scorpion. Okay. Uh, I I had an interesting experience that happened to me for no five years ago. Now, Uh, I have a a relatively controllable heart condition, but I was misdiagnosed with a, a medication that slowed my heart down too much and I uh, came into John F. Kennedy Airport and my husband was with me. He would testify and I dropped dead and I actually died four times in six and I have no worry about telling you this because I think it's important to share these things and I I was very lucky that I was at the airport and they are, of course, trained in CPR so they were able to keep me alive and they took me me to... uh, the hospital there—I've forgotten the name of it. This moment in time, and for four days of my life, I was not with the world. I I woke up there uh, four days later. Um, they'd kept—I'd been on life support, and they took me off life support. They thought I would be mentally damaged because my head hit the marble uh, of the airport floor, and also I had been without oxygen for a, up to half an hour in totality. As you can tell, I'm perfectly okay. This is the open. brain
2: damage, John um, Doyle. We've been getting all these years doing this brilliant
0: work. <laughs> can you imagine what the other version was like? Yeah. So, I I woke up in the hospital in Queens, and I was told that I had not been uh, with the world for a period of time, and they were completely shocked that I was still alive when I woke up, and I it made me change my everything about my life. It made me value my life in an entirely different way because I can tell you that I didn't see a long tunnel with light at the end, but whatever happened, it was okay, right? Even if it was nothing, it was okay, and I didn't mm. know about it. And there's an enormous gift in that. Now, I didn't, my death at uh, my mortality, time, change, didn't come with pain. So I am very, I was very fortunate. And I realized, uh, it, it, the reality of it hit me one day when I had to go to my cardiologist and he had to sign in a form and it said cardiac death. And I thought, oh my God, I've heard of cardiac arrest. But death? And he said, what happened? I said, okay. And it made me realize that I love being in a rehearsal room But it would be okay if I was never in one again Uh, I love actors And yet it would be okay If I never directed another one I adore telling stories Tonya As you can probably tell just the way we're speaking I'm a natural storyteller I love to tell stories But it would be okay if I didn't ever tell Mm. another one Because I don't need another prize Mm. So you asked me what would I do. I would, I would like to keep working. I'd like to do less. I'd like to take less responsibility in that environment. I'd like to take more time to be responsible for my family and my, the rest of my life, um, you know, because that's always challenging. But uh, as long as whatever I do has got beautiful words, I'll be happy. I don't want to do stories that aren't well-written. You know, I've been lucky. I've worked with Steve Sondheim, Terrence McNally, you know, John Kander. I mean, I'm a very fortunate man, and I've been in the room, room with remarkable people. But I I want to only do good words because I do that words are, are precious. And I... I I love the Sol- The Solzhenitsyn when he won his Nobel Peace Prize. At the end of his f- speech, it says, one word of truth can change the whole world. And I believe that our art form can be part of that truth because we've been told an awful lot of lies of late and it's time for more truth. And if I can be any part of that truth-telling, I'll be a happy man for the next time I die.
2: Thank you, John Doyle. This is Tanya Pinkins. You're listening to You Can't Say That on the Broadway Podcast Network. Thanks for listening to You Can't Say That, the show where you can. I'm Tanya Pinkins, and You Can't Say That is part of the Broadway Podcast Network, produced by Dory Berenstein and Alan Seals, edited by Derek Gunther, with music by Kat Damn. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and rate this podcast highly wherever you stream. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Tanya Pinkins. And to learn more, visit bpn.fm forward slash Stay safe.
0: You is kind. You is smart. You is important. You is dead. Tanya Pinkins' horror film, Red Pill, brings African-American perspective to progressive movement. We are a majority in this country, and we're gonna win the election. Do
2: you know what the red pill is? A red pill is someone who infiltrates a group and then destroys them from the inside. This place is spooky. Some people like to live dangerously. Cass, why are you so jumpy tonight? You know what, guys? I'm gonna go back tomorrow.
1: Did you hear about the creature woman that attacked a father and son hunting down here? I don't see the case. This
2: place creeps me out.
0: I think we should call the sheriff's office. The
2: only people missing or dead are brown people. They're after
1: all
0: of us. What do we do, Amelia? We die. But we take some of them with us hey it's leslie odom jr here on the broadway podcast network to tell you about the rise theater directory a program of maestro music rise is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds if you work
1: 18 plus.